Hey, business owners, ever wondered what happens when you take a payment? Well, there's a whole world of transactions powered by Elevon. Whether it's through currency converting, security asserting, business supporting, real-time reporting, e-com providing, or expert advising, <laughs> Elevon supports all payments for your business. To find out more, visit elevon.ie. Elevon, your world of payments. Elevon Financial Services, DAC trading as Elevon Merchant Services, is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. The Big Tech Show brought to you by Elevon. Elevon makes payment taking simple, freeing you up to focus on your business. You take on the world, they'll take care of the payments. See elevon.ie for more. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent. And this week I'm delighted to be joined by Paul Scanlon, CTO of Huawei. And Huawei is one of the most talked about tech companies in the world. I've interviewed Paul before, so I'm, but I'm delighted he's come on the podcast today. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Welcome again. Thank you very much, Adrian. Lovely to see you again. Now, Paul, just before we get into all the, the heavy stuff, uh, I've asked you this before. Scanlon, any Irish connection? Yes, <laughs> it's very funny, you know, but uh, I can remember I was in uh, in Dublin, I think. Yes, it was in Dublin. And uh, a taxi driver and I, we were we were traveling either towards or from the airport. And uh, we just struck up a bit of camaraderie. And uh, so I gave him my business card and he looked at it and says, Scanlon, Paul Michael. He says, I, I can't do an Irish accent, but that's a fine Irish name. And I said, well, actually, it's a made up name. <laughs> <laughs> my mother's surname was Lane. And my father's surname was Shiglovsky. And when they came to Australia in the 50s, in the early 50s, they just put the two bits together and called it Scanlon. And no better. Fine Irish name. <laughs> no better nationality to adopt, um, I'll say. Now, the, the, the nice stuff over. Okay, so we've, I mean, there's loads of things I could ask you. As you know, I, I write about all sorts of uh, tech stuff, on the product stuff, and also on the, um, the back end stuff. Let's start with some of the stuff that dominates the headlines. So I'm going to ask you about Huawei in Europe. And it seemed like up till about a year ago that the US had its thing with Huawei. But by and large, Europe was sticking with Huawei, particularly as, as a telecoms network vendor. And now it mm. looks like things are starting to crack. So the UK has come out with some pretty tough reports, effectively removing in the medium to long term Huawei from uh, some important networks there. But now it looks like Germany, maybe France, maybe Italy is starting to go the same way. What, what What's going on there? Look, to be quite frank, I personally don't know because I'm not based in Europe, yes. But um, let, let's try and put some uh, some rationale behind some of the, the, the decision in the UK. And that's really allowed around, look, I don't know what goes on in you know closed doors in government circles. That's that's not my, not my thing. But... Um, but what I what I can say is that, you know, it's unfortunate that we get um, you know an OB report that's sort of a year after the product was tested, if you know what I mean. Um, but you know, I, I do look at the software. I mean, I really do look at the software. I chair the advisory committee, and all the people in R and D know me, and you know, I hire people who are um, and suggest people who should come on board who are experts in the, in the globe. You know, security experts and software architects. And we have a genuine um, intention to improve the software, and we have been doing that. And I think that's one thing that you know the OB report did um, demonstrate. It could have put it a different way. It could say, you know, Huawei's making progress, and we should carry on this way. But you know, let's not go into the politics of why, etc. Yes. 
Um, you're, you're referring you know, to the, to the, the UK report. You're to the yes, UK. Yes, I'll just yep. talk a little yep. bit. I'll just highlight bits and pieces as I see them and as I know, Adrian, and then your listeners can can have a think about the bits and pieces. But you know, even when the first uh, component came out and the government said, you know, 35, or 30 percent, 35 percent, whatever market share. You know, I used to work for for telecom companies, big, you know, Telstra. Okay, many years ago, and I can still remember. You know, our our vendor strategy was always around uh, two or three or four, always balanced. 30%, nothing special about those things, quite frankly, yes. Uh, the more recent decision, that, that's uh, unfortunate, yes, that that's, that's going that direction. But, you know, 2027, 20, well, you know, that's that's a long time away and, um, you know, the network will get, you know, the, the UK operators will get a lot of value out of the equipment that they've purchased from Huawei. In terms of the way the EU is going and, and things like that, you know, I know we have a lot of different opinions about the, um, the EU toolbox and things like that. But I think I might have mentioned it to you perhaps a year and a half ago that um, you know it's the wrong reason that Huawei's in the spotlight and security, unfortunately. But I do believe it's the right thing that the the world is talking about because we've never really addressed security, um, cyber security properly. But as I say, it's unfortunate the way it's happened. But to have multi-vendor strategies is normal, normal for governments to make sure that uh, you know the operators um, you know take care and, and pay attention to security properly. And those sorts. There's nothing wrong with those sorts. You know, that's that's good practice. And by the way, telecom operators didn't come about last year, you know, or two minutes ago. They've been around for 40, 50, 100 years, some of them. You know, I visited most of them. They're very sophisticated in their security capability. They would know immediately if there's any problem in a network or anybody's doing anything. And, you know, here you have a, a company like Air in, in Ireland going out on record and saying, you know, we're part of the EU, we understand the toolbox, and we've got a multi-vendor strategy, tick in the box. We own, operate, and manage the network ourselves with our own people, tick in the box. And, um, you know, we, we deploy, you know, some world yeah. security processes and, and tools. So tick in the box, we're comfortable, we're going to carry on with our strategy. And I think if I wanted to really summarise what I really is disappointing from my perspective, and certainly from Huawei's, is you know 5G has a lot of opportunities to transform. It's a platform for transformation, Adrian. And by that I mean, you know, it can help the operators, their operating position, which is really about efficiency. And you know, it's not really about the B2C business, but the B2B business, industry transformation, economic growth, they're all things we should be striving for. And if you just look at um, COVID now, surely the target should be to get the planet and the people healthy. That that should be the target we're all focused on, not being diverted and distracted by all these um, by all this nonsense which just appears. And so what I've been doing probably since I saw you is really promoting education. Let's talk about the facts. Let's collaborate and let's trust. Because if we can do those things, Adrian, you know, 5G and AI, cloud-based platform, has a lot of opportunity. And um, and those companies and those countries that, that select Huawei are seeing benefits of it. Mm. So, but the, you know the geopolitical things, I really don't understand the, the reasons for it. And, and well, I'm not a politician, so I don't know the politicking behind it. Yeah, al although you're, you're you're suffering uh, because of it. And you mentioned the way that all this stuff come uh, has has come about. I mean, Guo Ping. Um, uh, spoke a few weeks ago at a conference and he was he spoke and he said this a few times now he said that Huawei now is in a tough position um because of US what he described as US aggression he says that that Huawei is now 
for now, for now, it's survival is the goal. That's the way he's describing it. And I guess what I was asking was, I mean, are we seeing a domino effect in Europe? Is it starting to spread? Is the US plan, is it starting to effectively really stop Huawei in its tracks? Tough one to answer. Um, look, we have a, a we have a multi-product strategy, okay? Maybe the best way to answer that is, you know, we have a multi-product strategy, okay? We don't just make 5G radio, 5G core networks, or handphones and set-top boxes. You know, we make an awful lot of things, right? And we work in a lot of countries. And, all right, there are, you know, you do business where you can do business, yes, Adrian? There are countries who like China and they want to have relationships with them. There are companies and countries who like Huawei and they want to do business with them despite what the US and, and you know, and others may, 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 may say. But I would say, go and ask our customers. <laughs> Don't talk to the government. Go and ask the customers. There must be a reason, Adrian, why we make $122 billion. The business model is different to a public company. Yes, we invest in our people. We invest in R and D. Mm. We provide products for customers that customers that customers love. Now, to to your point about the operators, I I have spoken to and sorry mm. to to cut across. Um, I've spoken yeah, yeah. to no, um lots of telecom operators about Huawei, and those that are using Huawei, you're right. Most of them are saying we don't really see what the problem is here. The kit's good and yeah. the kit's affordable. Now. The, the counter argument to that, that those on the other side and the Americans, um, uh, there were a few officials over here in Dublin um, a few months back, actually about a year ago now, and they invited a few of us in for a briefing. They didn't pull any punches. I'm going to have to, I'm sure, I'm sure you, you would appreciate that. But the, their counter argument and from some others I've heard is that they say, that Huawei, that the reason that the operators like Huawei, other than the fact that the gear works and it, the technical standards are, are overall decent, is that it's affordable, but it's an affordable in the way that um, it's, it, the suggestion is that it's part subsidized or that it's too easy to adopt Huawei. And therefore, that's why the operators um, mm. uh, defend Huawei. Yeah. So Adrian, uh, I'll just tell you what Paul Scanlon has done in Huawei. Okay, when I first came into Huawei, um, I was responsible for uh, quite a large telecom network in uh, in Malaysia, where I am now, yes. And then I moved on to another one in Singapore and uh, did a few things in New Zealand and pretty much all around the world. And it's not just about the pure price number, okay? So I, I don't believe that at all. I've been on the other side of the fence, and yes, we will always balance between price and reliability. So let me give you from the horse's mouth in the backyard of the United States, okay? I, because I was there. And the customer there in front of other customers said, and I was present, he said, it's not because of the capital cost. It's because the product is reliable and it works and its performance is better. And our biggest cost is operating cost, especially in rural areas where, you know, price, of course, price is sensitive, but in rural areas, if we have to go out and we have to continue to maintain and service products, that's our biggest cost. Mm. And if I showed you, and, and you don't have to look at Paul, you can go and go and pick a consultant, any consultant. There's lots of good ones in Europe. Go and pick one and ask them, what is the cost structure of a telecom company and their site, their site? And you'll find about 62 to 67% of every single operator in the world, pretty much, is OPEX. OPEX. 30-ish percent is site rental. Site rental. The second biggest cost is backhaul. 
And the third biggest cost is power, electricity. The cost of the radio is about 12%. 12%, right? So now let's have a think about operating costs. Don't have to trust Paul. Go and ask the operators. Ask the customers. Who has the lowest power consumption? I just told you what's one of the biggest problems. Who has a product that is smaller and lighter and cheaper to operate? Huawei, okay? That doesn't have anything to do with cost at the moment. Mm. It's a form factor. I mean, I'll give you an example. We took 10 years, Adrian, to standardize 5G from concept to general availability of a radio, handset, radio. Core architecture. Yes, we, we did that, I think, a year and a half ago, right in February of 2019. And the standard was uh, ratified first in November, October, November 2018. So the, the point I want to make there is that here you've got this product. It weighed 40 kilos, 40, 44, 45 kilos originally. We got it down to 40 kilos very quickly because we paid attention to the biggest problem in Europe, which is sight. And I can remember our CEO saying in a meeting when he saw the first product, 45 kilos. Don't you know occupational safety and health in Europe is 40 kilos? Our operators are going to have to hire a crane to put it in. Do you know how expensive that'll be to them? It's not acceptable. Get rid of five kilos. That didn't have anything to do with subsidy, Adrian. Not a single word on subsidy. That's the CEO. I was present in the room. I'll, I'll swear on a, on a stack of Bibles, okay? Second one that's interesting. One year later, which is just in January, we had some COVID issues, so we couldn't get to Barcelona. But we had a product launch. I was surprised. Second generation product, 25 kilos. One third less power consumption, 25 kilos, I mean. Mm. Twice the bandwidth. Where's subsidy in that? I'll make a third point for you. And you know why it's 25 kilos? Because one person can install it, which means you can cut down on an extra person going out to the site to install, et cetera. Okay, so these are what we're doing is we're, we're helping an operator achieve his business target, which is first operating costs, yes? The second component, the product works very, very well. Now you've, you've just you've got the anecdotal evidence from customers you've interviewed, and that means if the product's reliable and gives a better experience, and that comes from our handphones to our other products through to the end, customer experience means less churn. Operators make more money. Those two things are quite clear. Yeah? I mean, it's interesting you... Yeah, sorry, go on. And I'll, I'll give you one more point, Adrian, then you, you can... Par- but I, I think it's important. We make about 75 to 7.9% net margin, Adrian. Not 32, 45% like the, the listed companies on a stock well, market. Well, almost nobody makes mid-30... Well, maybe Apple might make 30% market. Hard, hardly anybody yeah, does. But, but, but the point I'm making is, Listed companies have a different DNA, okay? I'll, I'll give you an example. I can remember, Adrian, five years ago, the same CEO you just mentioned, Guo Ping, was on stage and said, we can see about a billion dollars profit extra halfway through the year. And, of course, we all thought, this is great. You know, we're going to get a big bonus. And he said, no, 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 we're going to invest it in R&D. you imagine if that was a public company and suddenly we said that? Probably be lynched, right? Last year, if I'm not mistaken, about $20 billion in R&D. So what I'm trying to say is we try to do three things. R&D, technology, customer, and incentivize the people to achieve these targets. That, that's what we do. I mean, that's the, not about the, subsidy. The point, the point that you make about the um, 
advances in the technology is an interesting one because I've been wrestling with the idea, what is it that the Americans have about Huawei? Mm. And there are, there are different opinions. I mean, there, there is the conventional one, which is the national security uh, risk one. Um, there's another one which I heard, which was very interesting to me. It was articulated by the Virginia uh, senator, um, Democratic senator, actually, Mark Warner. And he he was he's comes from the telecoms world and he essentially painted a picture not entirely dissimilar from the one you're picturing of um another country and another company another country's technology um leapfrogging us technology and that being a national uh, security interest for them and specifically what he said because i took a note of it he said um he said this is he was describing what he what he thinks is the the Chinese industrial policy. He says first allow domestic companies to fight it out until a national champion emerges, and nurture it by keeping out foreign competition. Use state resources to expand into foreign markets. Then target the international bodies that set standards that allow differing manufacturers' equipment to work together, from mobile phones to AI and facial recognition. In this way, he said, Chinese instead of American values will become embedded in the in the way the world uses. Uh, technology and that that becomes a very very powerful. So so he's painting, he's bringing Huawei and other companies into this idea of national champion of a geopolitical industrial uh, um, scenario, and that makes more sense to me than the national security thing. Yes, yes, I, I haven't heard that, but that's an interesting an interesting comment. Um, what, what I can tell you that you know I've been working in China now for about seven years. And about 12 in Huawei, and I just can tell you what, what I can feel and what I see. And I can go back in, in two, two components, maybe to give you some idea of, of how things happen that I personally see in, in China whilst I've been operating there. And I can remember when I first came there, the traffic was quite chaotic, right? Really quite chaotic. I'm just talking about Shenzhen and, and Bantian, where our office is. But in, I'll say, back, call it two years, two years ago. So in five years, it's like everybody's learned how to drive and educate. You know, they 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 know how to do it, right? Remember, nobody had a car before that, more or less. Yes. But what's more interesting is people stop at traffic lights and pay attention. You know, pedestrians. I'm talking about, right? You, you might think that's that's bizarre, but you know, five ten years ago it was quite chaotic, right? Let's come to COVID, and here you have lockdowns here you have social distancing and wearing masks and sanitization i was there you know i left in, i left to go and see my family back in uh, late february i think it was i came back in intentionally intentionally adrian right because i could see china was managing it and i believed that they, they would manage it so i came in went into quarantine came out i can remember adrian when i came out i had to sign a, a form to say you know i'm i'm being released and they give me some documents Everybody's wearing PPE and I've got masks on and there's sanitizer everywhere um, and temperature checks everywhere. But I can remember I had to scan a, uh, download an app, scan a QR code. In fact, the app was, was WeChat. And I scanned the QR code and um, had to fill in, I think, uh, you know, I had my password details already. Everybody has your password details. I just had to put my uh, my address and my work address. You know, that's, that's all I needed to add to it. But wherever I went from there, all the taxis, First of all, inside the taxi, click on it and translate it. It says this taxi was cleaned, and you can scan it, and it'll tell you what time it was disinfected. Everything's covered in plastic so that the driver is secure, so he'll still take you. Every you've got you know disinfectant there. You've got disinfectant. Everybody's wearing masks. When you get to your residence, 
Everything is cordoned off. There's security guards standing there. You scan the QR code. And by scanning the QR code, it's either red, orange, or green. If it's green, you just you walk in. That's still going to take your temperature, sanitizer everywhere. In the lifts everywhere, every single restaurant, every place that you walk into, the process is the same, okay? So mm. everybody, what I'm trying to say is, Adrian, everybody followed it. When I, when I spoke to my wife in, in Malaysia, and she said, no, no, Malaysia's doing the same thing, you know, everybody knows, and in other countries. The point I wanted to make was that China had a problem and tried to correct the problem and educated everybody about how severe it was and put in place processes. But more importantly, it used technology and it did things differently to the conventional way. I won't say quarantines, um, you know, unconventional, maybe 500 years ago in Italy, um, in Venice, that's probably where it all, you know, the concept of quarantine perhaps started. But can you imagine, and it's not just uh, you know, China, I mean, UK did it as well in, in the centre, but build a hospital in 10 days. We built oh, 5G networks I mean, hospitals in three days. Yeah, when the Chinese put their mind to doing something like that, they do it very quickly. Now, I mean, there is another side to that that's, that you often hear okay, okay, in, in, in our media, which is a more dystopian is- one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I okay. mean, like it, it's great Adrian, that everything is safe and, and that you're wrong. Yeah. They leapfrog. Yeah, they leapfrog, right? Yeah, they understand technology. They can see it's it's not just China. I travel of every country in the world, Adrian, in Africa, Latin America, developing countries, and the customers say to me, "Actually, do we have to take that technology? Can't we take the other technology and forget that one and leapfrog and do this? Can't we do it in a different way?" That's the point I really wanted to make about perhaps what this other senator is. Okay, so, so you're, you're, you're giving an anecdote, yeah, uh, example of how in your experience that there are different ways right. to do it. Okay, yes. now, now just, yes. just the experience, yeah. as it happens, the the example you're using is sometimes cited mm. by the other side as well as as a kind of a quasi scary thing that it, although they have the ability to crack down to monitor and to enforce rules, which may ultimately yeah. make everybody safer. You know, the price you pay is you're watched an awful lot. I mean, the, the, there isn't much doubt about that. I mean, you've lived in China. I haven't, so I, I don't know the full extent of it. Yeah. But I imagine it's a, you know, it's a different experience from uh, from, from living in Europe or Australia. Mm-hmm. All right. So let, let me paint, let me carry on that same anecdote, because I think it's, it really paints the whole picture. Um, there are cameras everywhere. Absolutely. You know, in Shenzhen, I see them everywhere. In Bantian, I see them everywhere. But remember what I just told you. All the people at the traffic lights pay attention and follow the rules. Okay, that, that's the first the first point. Yes, um, and yes, everything is integrated from what I've heard, heard. So, you know, facially they can verify who you are, and if you do the wrong thing, then you know all those things can be can be can be tidied up. But just, I can remember call, one of my colleagues from the UK called me, and when I told him what had happened, and you know the the form and the data and the app. Yes, he said, Paul, we're just having this debate now in Europe about privacy and whether we should change. I said, Mark. I didn't even cross my mind. I thought about my safety, my family's safety, and people around me's safety. I wasn't thinking about all that other stuff, right? So I understand that about being watched and all those sorts of things. Arguably, the city of London has a lot of cameras. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there. CCTV cameras everywhere in London. I'm not sure if it's quite the same as, as from what I understand, um, other Chinese yeah. cities to be, but you're right that, that there is and there is that tension here i mean in europe we are going yeah. down more of a privacy uh centric route more, more so than the americans and certainly more than the china i was going to ask you actually in just in relation to that about whether you think we're heading headed 
into a, a fork in the road in terms of the internet and tech. But before I ask you that, I do want to ask you about um, the, the the last substantive issue on uh, is semiconductors because that. I mean, of all of the issues, of all of the export bans that the U.S. has brought in, maybe that is the most serious. A lot of analysts are describing it as a lethal blow, et cetera. But the question I wanted to ask you is, do you, I mean, Qualcomm, for example, have applied for a license. Uh, uh, Intel got yes. one. Um, I think AMD might have got one as well. Do you think that um, you will have enough semiconductors to to... To go forward, and and do, do, do you know whether Qualcomm has got that license yet? Yeah. Uh, so really, on the semiconductors, I'm I'm not privy to all that information. You know, there's some things that are out of my pay grade. If you know, strange as it may seem, but um, I think Warping has made a comment that you know we've taken delivery of some things, and as you've just you know some some chips, I don't know the volume or the quantities. But I remember talking to my CEO, and he said, if you really want to, you know, put a PO. Give us a PO. You want the you want it fulfilled. Let's talk. You know, forget all the hype. Issue us with a PO, and we'll fulfill it. Okay. Um, well, well, they they can't. Yeah. Yeah. So look, if they, I mean, the US has put a process in place for you know, I'm, I'm not going to talk about the geopolitical why and whatever. Though, you know, let's let's not go there. But what I will say is that you know there is no mention at the beginning, Adrian. We have a large portfolio of products. Okay. And let's come back down to you sell what you can sell and you sell it where you can sell. I mean, that's normal business, yes? But, you know, we started the company. I didn't, obviously, but the company has been around since 87. And I can remember the stories that were, you know, told to me as I was being briefed about the company's early days. And I, I talk about all of these things because all the executives talk to me about it. And the thing that was striking was, I think it was about four years after we started, we used to be a reseller of a product, okay, out of Hong Kong, a reseller. And we used to do business where? In rural China. Why? Because all the big boys were operating in all the big cities. Okay. Now, then the product was removed from us. And from what I understand, that's when Mr. Ren and the board un understood the value of R&D and IPR. That's when they understood it. Okay. And that's when we embarked on a program. So now move to, say, 2003. And it was actually a European company. Um, uh, sorry, it's an, 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 uh, a Middle Eastern company that gave us our first big break. Move forward about uh, five years after that, it was actually a European company that taught us about business continuity management. Not two years ago when suddenly, you know, we're on anticlist or anything like this. So does that mean that we're completely prepared? It's very difficult, right, because of the, the way supply chains are, because it's completely and completely wo interwoven, right, globally. But, you know, we do have a broad portfolio of products. We do have many different ways of doing things. And I think if you take the other message that Guo Ping mentioned and something that I've been working on very specifically for the last three years is about how to use this technology for the benefit of the planet, mankind, you know, industry. I mean, I'll give you some examples. If you want to save a billion lives, a billion lives, right, in 10 years and improve the quality of life, how do you do that? I'll give, you, I'll give you a wacky idea. I recall the UK just early March or, uh, March or April announced that they're going to request that 40-odd thousand retirees, you know, health professionals, uh, doctors, nurses, et cetera, specialists who retired, uh, let's come back into the workforce because we need your help. But then I was thinking, what about all of Africa? They all more or less speak English and you know, not all of them, but 
surely we could have a business model where maybe for a dollar, those 40,000 people via a video call could provide at least basic health care to all of Africa. I mean, we, we could do that, right, Adrian? We and could and this that. is where you're saying things like telemedicine and connectivity come into it. Absolutely. Um, mm. Look, uh, two years ago, Adrian, Operators in Europe, pretty much everywhere, were sceptical. What's the business model for 5G? Because everybody thought it's faster, faster. It's nothing to do with fast, really. Let's look at where we are now today. This is an uplink problem, okay, what we're doing here today. Less than six, seven months ago, the EU requested Netflix to reduce the quality of video. Why? Because entertainment video content is competing with essential services, telemedicine, Video for, for communications based in education, not just health and education, but also in business, SME and enterprise business. This is normal. Suddenly, six months later, all the telecom operators have data about how to monetize this thing called 5G. We can slice the network, give a block to it, to health, to education, to industry, right? Little Johnny playing on his computer game isn't going to affect us now, but today it would on 4G. Mm. So if the point I want to make is if we come back to this concept of education, if we teach everybody, the, the regulators and the government, on what 5G really can do, not, not all the hype, and not to be afraid. You know, have mm. good processes in place, certainly for privacy and security, absolutely, but do it fairly. Across the board, all vendors should be scrutinised. But that, that utility, that function, exactly that you're talking about, essential utilities, uh, education, um, you know, emergency services, that actually is the thing cited most by the Americans and some British hawks as to why yes. they can't um, uh, depend on, on, on Huawei in a geopolitical context. That actually is the reason that they cite. Yeah, I get it. Okay, um, so lots of scaremongering. Let's talk about the facts. 5G is more secure than 4G. It fixes up the air interface problems that we have with respect to security. It fixes those, okay? It's 256 encrypted. You can't crack it. And it's in a VPN, like a tunnel. So you can't see it and snoop on it. Then people will say, ah, but you know, the threat landscape is bigger, Adrian. With 5G, you could have billions of devices. Well, you could, but they're not all connected first. But hang on a second. If the security is a lot better than 4G or Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, et cetera, et cetera, why wouldn't you want 5G in all of them? Let's not ask that question on, on, on air, okay? But you, you get what I'm trying to say. There's too much scaremongering. I'll give you another example. I've been in the US many times, and I've actually said there, I'm surprised, you know, I would have thought the US would turn around and say, wow, that equipment from Huawei, it's terrific. Let's deploy it fast, because the US knows how to do that. And let's do what the U.S. really does very well, which is analytics, right? The Googles, the Apples, Amazons, they're very good at this stuff. Why do we want to do that? Because if we can collect the data, the information, we can drive the economy. We can improve industry. We can develop them, okay? Now, if the U.S. did that as a leader, the rest of the world would be able to follow them. You could carry on with all these huge cases. But instead, what I see is there appears to be a, you know, let's retard it. I'll give you another anecdote. You want to save a billion tons of carbon dioxide, a billion, Adrian, a billion tons of carbon dioxide. Other than security and COVID, the planet is the next, if not the most talked about topic in the media, a billion tons. If networks, mobile telecom operators continue to build two, three or 4G networks, the carbon dioxide will increase from about 300 million tons as of 
a year ago to about twice that in five or six years. But if you deploy 5G, it stays about the same. So that's about three to 400 million tonnes of carbon dioxide we've just saved. In, in the UK, if we just consider transport, okay, if you connect all the traffic infrastructure, so we, we've done the study for the UK. If you connect all the traffic infrastructure, you can improve the GDP by around 2 to 2.5% a year. I would have thought that's a good reason for trying to accelerate and use the best types of products and solutions and collaborate together to solve problems. Mm. I, I mean, This is the point I'm trying to make. And that's what Guo Ping was saying. Huawei will focus our effort on industrial transformation that technology can bring. If it does that, and if it continues to do that, what has happened has happened. And it's not mm. just Huawei. We're seeing bans on TikTok, for example, in the States. In, yes. in China, I know from being there that you can't really use Google or Facebook or those kind of services when you're there. It seems to a lot of people that the world is splitting in terms of it. Yes. I mean, do you think, is, am I wrong in thinking that? It looks like that we're looking at the US over here, China over here, Europe's trying to make up its mind where it's going to where it's going to go. It's probably more with the US in terms of the common services used like Google and Amazon, all that sort yes. of stuff. But are we headed now for there's so many people in China, 1.4 billion and, and the mm. others in, in, in countries around there. Do you think we're headed for a split in, in the Internet? No, no. I'll, I'll tell you why I don't think so. I think I'll say common sense, but I think um, Competition will prevail, okay? Competition and what competition does, which is innovation, innovation, okay? You might have some camps that are starting to segregate, separate, but then, you know, what happens if China suddenly moves up here? Just example, okay? Because of what it's doing or has enormous improvements in, um, I, mean, I mean, let's take a crazy example. Somebody uses their analytics and comes up with a vaccine for, for COVID and you know all the front runners in this one here, but let, let's suppose they got it down and they can industrialise the process. Suddenly, all of these diseases will be coming off the production line with a vaccine, right? Wouldn't you want that globally? Wouldn't you want that capability to decode all of the things? Just, what is it, 10 years ago, it cost mega dollars and took years to decode the human genome, right? Mm. Today it was done in record time for COVID, and we're, we're doing this as a, you know, almost it's automatic, right? So the reason I want to say these sorts of things is because it's collaboration that created this. It's about the sharing of information, of the knowledge of how to do things. Yes, you can have competition, of course, but are we going to go to a point where, um, you know, only country A has the best of everything? Maybe that's what it was, but history shows us that. In the end, what you have, I want, and what I have, you want, and we're going to be trading, right? I mean, the only and problem with the collaboration point is that what we're hearing now is that in the States, for example, they're starting to say, well, we're, we're going to cut down on um, universities uh, from the US and China collaborating yes. and all that, uh, that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it's good to hear that you're optimistic about it, but some of the things that are happening would suggest that it's going in mm -hmm. the opposite direction, that there's, uh, certainly from one side, there's there's an attempt to, to, you know, to cordon off uh, the innovation spheres, if you like, to, if you like, and maybe one of them does emerge um, to be the better one and creates the standard, you know, as you're suggesting, and then maybe the rest of the world goes with that standard. But for the moment, for the next five yes. to ten years, maybe 
we're 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 seeing we're seeing two different rival ecosystems. I don't know. Okay, so let, let's. I, I'll, I'll give you the example that I know of very specifically in telecom, and of course, you know, the Europeans chose the GSM standard as opposed to the standard that was in the US, and that allowed the world to move forward. China picked um, TDS CMA some time ago, and of course, that proved to be, you know, again, the wrong thing. So you mentioned standards. Yeah. Let, let me tell you about how standards, you know, a whole bunch of geeks, right, in a room. <laughs> yeah. You might work for company A, I might work for company B, and I might think my invention's better than your invention. But in the standards group, we're all, they're all geeks, right? They're all, oh, they're all oh, that's you know, but they're, they're all smart guys. Geeks, actually, nerd, just don't say nerd. Geek is acceptable. Okay. 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 I apologize. I'm a scallywag. As I understand. Yeah. I don't know protocol at all. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, so just to give you an example, if the wrong standard or the wrong, you know, somebody's pushing a point of view in a standards development for the wrong reason, okay, it will very quickly come undone, okay? Because in a developer, I will see from developer B that, you know, actually his product is better than mine and, uh, and eventually everybody's going to find out. So, you know, it's called IPR licensing, right? I need some of yours, you need some of mine. Yep, and that's that's exactly what, what it's all about. And that, that's why we have, uh, these you know licenses for for virtual property so that everybody can leverage on the good work that every that other people have done and i believe that that's what's going to happen in the future maybe there'll be some ripples now but i believe that you know once um once the gentlemen at the top there you know finally figure out how to how to collaborate together mm. and how the, you know the world the world is huge there's lots of things we could do just just imagine if you want to send the planet back 100 years in terms of greenhouse gases, as an example, that's a huge amount of business opportunity for everybody in the world. If you want to fix healthcare, it's a $1.62 trillion problem. That's an awful lot of money that can be shared amongst everybody. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? Sure. Yeah. And there are a lot of companies. And there's a billion yeah. people who are still uneducated. I would have thought the opportunity for everybody to, to share in those good things mm -hmm. outweighs isolation. Mm -hmm. You um, need a little bit of trust, you know. You need a bit of good faith. I need a bit of good faith. Yeah. Speaking about the the, the gentleman at the top, I'm, I'm sure there's not a there's something you probably proffer an answer on. But do you think that the attitude might change if there's a change in the U.S. administration? I really don't know. I, I'm not a as I say, I'm not a politician. I don't follow one or the other or favor this one or that one. I, I you know I try to believe that politicians try to do the best for their country and maybe to opponents of those they don't like that or don't want that or don't see it that way and maybe to other countries other governments they don't see it that way as well so maybe i'm you know i'm trying to be very diplomatic here but so i can't comment on whether they're doing a good job doing a bad job yes mm. certainly you know the us is trying to you know rekindle the spark i do believe that um that the concept is right in terms of you know, we, they need to do more. And I think China has understood that. And that's why they've been heavily investing in AI, cloud, IoT, and, and Huawei, specifically 5G. And I think perhaps the US has, has, has underinvested in those areas. And, you know, perhaps the whole world has just been allowing the, the, the really big giants to grow unchecked, you know, the, you know some of the, the Googles and the Apples and the other gods, and perhaps, you know, you could argue the same way about the Huawei's. But I don't really think we're, we're, we're that big. It's just that we do things in a different way. But certainly, you know, the EU has been scrutinizing everybody. They've scrutinized Huawei as well. But what I'm suggesting is that the opportunity for improvement 
and to develop, I believe, is huge, is enormous. And there's room for everybody and there's room to share in, in the economy. But it doesn't happen in isolation. All isolation will do is not provide you with the best outcome or the best solutions. And it will take longer. Competition fuels innovation, right? That's what I always come back to. Yeah, competition fuels innovation. And that's something that, uh, you know. So to wrap up, Paul, you, you're here in Europe. You're confident that we will still have Huawei 5G networks, telecom networks here in Europe in five or 10 years' time. Yes, I'm confident. Yes. Well, I mean, nice and short and sweet. Can't put any clearer. I, I am confident. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm confident because I believe, you know, um, what we call, what's the word is um, people will be sensible. Yes. Okay. Um, and I'm optimistic. Great. Well, listen, uh, thank you very much for coming on uh, this uh, podcast. Uh, pleasure to talk to you, Paul. Hope to uh, see you again soon, um, if we ever get out of our houses. There's light at the end of the tunnel, Adrian. And that's tell, what you, that's your, what you keep tell, saying. Tell that's what you keep saying. There's uh, light at the, from, and, and if not, carry a coffee machine, an espresso machine in your luggage. Carry a guitar. Carry a couple of weights, elastic bands, yoga mat. That's my kit, right, for traveling. Actually, it, was, it wasn't it a towel. Wasn't it Douglas Adams, a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Wasn't his whole point. No matter where you go, carry a towel. Because no matter what situation you're Absolutely. in, a towel's actually handy. I carry a towel as well. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, on that on that note, thank you very much, Paul Scanlon, CTO of Huawei. And from me, Adrian Weckler, tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent, that is all we have time for this week. So thanks very much again for uh, tuning in. And I'll be here the exact same time next week. Thanks. Bye-bye.